and welcome to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. I'm Sam, and today I'm joined by Adam and James as we discuss Norwich's 2-1 away defeat to Rotherham. Rotherham were in a 4-3-3 formation, unchanged from their previous league game against Leicester City. However, they were coming off a 6-1 thrashing from Stoke in the EFL Cup midweek. So Adam, it was just the one change for Norwich, but a slightly different looking bench. Yeah, exactly. So, as expected, Adam Ida came in for the injured Josh Sargent. Omar Bamadeli wasn't on the bench because he had been sold the day before, obviously. Uh, and, yeah, there were two goalkeepers actually named on the bench, which, uh, which was interesting. McCracken joining uh, Long, Wang and uh, Bat. They weren't signed in time to feature. Uh, they were our deadline day signings, of course. And Forshaw, who had signed... A week before, and he had made uh, the bench against Huddersfield. He was with the development squad this weekend. Great. So, uh, well, Norwich started um, the 15 minutes pretty well. Uh, they were definitely the most dominant team in terms of possession. Uh, James, I don't know if you want to talk about the start to the game and, and why Norwich were, were a bit more dominant than Rotherham. Yeah, so um, we got some early joy down that left-hand side. We were often finding Janoulis and he wasn't quite under as much pressure as uh, our midfield players and he was able to find that pass into Rowe. I believe the first one is uh, on about 10 minutes. Rowe gets the ball in space on the left, drives into the box, goes onto his left and then his cross is blocked. And then uh, just a couple of minutes later, Rowe gets the ball in space again on the left I think this move came, actually came from a goal kick. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it does start from the uh, from the goal kick. It goes into Stacy, and then he finds Sarah um, in the wide channel. Um, it's a really nice pass from uh, Stacy in between. I think it's Onyedinma who's trying to cover Sarah, but Sarah's able to get free in in that wide channel. And then yeah, it was a nice kind of switch from right to left after that. Uh, you knew this gets in from a really nice pass from Moreau. Then it just gets cut back to Sarah. I was really surprised with this chance that he didn't take it with his left foot. He just lets the ball come over to to his right side. Uh, but yeah, if he hits it first time with his left foot, obviously more of a chance that it goes in. Yeah, that surprised me too because he sort of just poked it with the outsider's right foot, which is quite a difficult finish, and he'd have more of a chance if he just swept it in with his left foot. But uh, obviously, only he'll know what's going through his mind there. Yeah, well, he was very frustrated with himself. Afterwards, he banged he banged his hands against his head like three times as he turned back. I think it was interesting, really, the perception I had of this first 15 minutes when I watched live, and I was very much kind of watching maybe more with sort of a fan perspective. I, I wasn't really paying too much attention to the tactical side, especially as I wasn't originally going to come on this pod. So, um, But yeah, when I re- re-watched it back today on the Monday, so a bit with fresh eyes, you know, although Rotherham definitely pressed us more aggressively and higher up the pitch and in more numbers than previous opponents ha- have done, like you guys are saying, you know, it's two good moves in there from Norwich, especially between sort of 10 and 12 minutes. I think those two moves happen. And yeah, both a result of us getting the ball into wider areas and switching from one wing to the other quite quickly. And that was something when we did it, that's basically throughout the game, that's where we looked the most threatening, I would say. Uh, but we arguably just didn't do that enough. And we come on to later players who I thought might have been able to help with that um, who didn't come on as well. But yeah, generally there were struggles in the build-up in the first half. And I think, uh, James, you've got a couple of notes about that, no? Yeah, so 
I thought the way that Rotherham pressed us was quite interesting in that uh, there's definitely more of a mix of zonal in there compared to last week with Huddersfield, who were very much purely man-for-man in that midfield and made it sort of harder for us to do those rotations and sort of drag the defenders around the way we did last week. I also noticed that they were willing to allow a pass into midfield and then they would try and sort of collapse the zone onto the player who had then received the ball. You'd get sort of three Rotherham players then coming in to try and force that turnover and win it back. I think as those sort of technical errors started to creep into our game in the half, I think they started to have more and more joy with that and were able to sort of really pin us back. Yeah, it was interesting to see their shape out of possession, as you mentioned, James. I think it was a bit of a like a 3-2-3-2 in terms of how they set up in terms of their structure. And as you say, like that mix between zonal and and man marking. I think the one out ball that Norwich did have, which they were slightly reluctant to use, uh, was to Yanulis on the left-hand side. I think he was pretty much the only player outside of that out-possession structure. And even when Duffy had the ball, he seemed quite reluctant to to look for Yanulis on the left-hand side. It can be difficult to see because re-watching the game, I think Yanulis is out of the picture. But um, the way that Rotherham were basically set up meant that he had to be free because all 10 players were on the left-hand side when Norwich had the ball. Uh, they definitely suffocated Norwich a lot more than Huddersfield did last week. They didn't let Norwich uh, play or have as much freedom as Huddersfield did. But I think Norwich maybe could have done a little bit more in terms of their rotations. I definitely think um, in terms of the box midfield, it was much more dynamic last week with a lot more movement. Yeah, I don't think we really got either into the game at all in that first half. I don't remember him having many touches, which was like the complete opposite of last week, where him and Barnes were basically playing as two extra midfielders at times. He sort of played more like a traditional nine in the first half, but there wasn't really any quality service into him higher up the pitch. So if he needs to get in the game, you'd probably want him dropping deeper. Yeah, actually, in some of our sort of poorer moments, it looked like we tried to like hit him long, basically. These passes were either really like overhit or just yeah, not in not in the right space for either to run onto at all. Yeah, he was kind of starved of service in the, in the first half, really. I definitely agree with that in terms of the final third. But actually, I think when Ida came to the ball, um, even though a lot of the times it was either a lateral or a backwards pass, he did keep the ball quite well. Like there weren't many times that you he gave it away. And actually, I thought his first touch was still pretty good uh, for most of this game. I don't know if we'll be able to cover many like specific actions that he made, but uh, overall, I think he did okay. Um, I think yeah. uh, I think we're all in agreement that he had a better game than Barnes. But if you looked at kind of the reaction from Norwich fans during and after the game, you, you wouldn't think that he he was kind of made the scapegoat by by some in any way, which I think is just yeah the consequence of him coming in for for Sergeant who had started the season so well. Yeah, so he's definitely someone I want to mention later in terms of our sort of second half comeback attempt because he was one that actually really went up a level after halftime just because he got involved in the game more, really. In terms of the midfield rotations, I thought that was probably the the main thing that contributed to our sort of struggles from a tactical point of view. Uh, After 15 minutes or so, I felt we were sort of struggling whenever we got into like the second phase of build-up. It was a lot of moves to breaking down there, either through a technical mistake or we'd try and force it into a pass that wasn't really on. And I think with a bit more fluidity, we'd get more runners ahead of the ball 
And then it wouldn't just uh, go into Ida or Barnes's feet and then have to be laid back. And I think in terms of the, the technical actions you're talking about, James, I think there was one real sloppy pass from Sarah, which led to a corner in the end. And I think it was a layoff that he was trying to make to Kenny McLean. Um, and that led to a transition. Rotherham got the ball in our half. And that was in the 20th minute. And it seemed to be it was then that the game sort of changed a little bit. Norwich had had the better chances, had had the better territory, had, had the better possession during that first 20 minutes. And then just after that, within two minutes, they were 1-0 down. But yeah, it comes from a long throw, actually, the the goal. And uh, James, I don't know if you want to break down a little bit what happened or um, or what you think could have perhaps been improved upon. Yeah, so the throw comes in and there was a bit of a mix-up in terms of just passing off on your dimmer. It was uh, Barnes and Gibson who didn't swap markers and on your dimmer wins that first contact. It looks like he deliberately flicked it back to Len Bikisa, in which case it's really a touch and play. Rowe has actually been drawn to the ball and left Len Bikisa free on the edge. It's obviously a really good strike. He's hit it, I think it's on the half volley and you wouldn't expect that to be scored usually but he's he's obviously hit it really well I think it's hard to like say that there was like a massive blunder in there from us because he's had to hit it so well to get the goal I mean sometimes you just got to hold your hand up and say like it's a really good piece of play from the opposition yeah I think that's really well summarized and yeah I don't really want to build on, on what you've said in terms of the breakdown because yeah that's the exactly the way that I saw it too it is a it is a really good strike and yeah nothing that, that Angus Gunn could do about it and uh Lembergisa had a had a really good half. I think he had dribbled past Jonathan Rowe three times already within the first twenty minutes. So he'd looked very dangerous as a as an attacking right back. That really high quality strike just um yeah encapsulated what a good start to the game he'd had. Even though uh, Norwich go one 0 down, they actually nearly equalised straight from the kickoff. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to again take that that breakdown, James. Yeah, so as we've seen a few times this season, it was it looked like a pre rehearsed move from kickoff, which is Something that you have seen more widespread in the game in the last couple of seasons. I remember, I think it was a Bournemouth goal at the Emirates uh, last season, which was clearly a pre-rehearsed move. And um, it ends with a sort of ball in behind and Rowe has made a run from out wide and gets his body between uh, the defender and the ball. That leaves him with a 1v1 against the keeper. But unfortunately, he's just a little bit off balance. So scuffs his left foot shot straight at Johansson. Yeah, I, f- I find this a really interesting element to, to Norwich's game so far this season. I was actually, a few days ago, I did actually start a Twitter thread in my uh, drafts and never ended up posting it. But basically, yeah, it was it was with kind of the various setups that we've had at kickoff this season. And like my feeling is it's very likely that we're at some point probably going to score a goal either straight from kickoff or straight from a restart. I mean, the closest, well, technically we did right against Southampton because uh, we mentioned it on this pod where we scored a goal straight from kickoff where I think it took maybe over a minute for us to score it, but Southampton didn't get a touch. But yeah, I I think it's quite likely we see like quite a quick direct goal like this at some point this season as we've come a close a few times now to something happening and uh, this is probably the closest we've come so far from a direct move and yeah I, I just find it kind of yeah quite interesting like an NFL team with a with us 
different set plays. Not that I'm a NFL expert. I think nearly all my knowledge of that comes from the TV series Friday Night Lights. Great reference. Actually, I think what happens is is key to, to Norris not equalising is Victor Johansson because actually I think he comes off his line pretty quickly. I think when a goal goes in, it's easy to switch off as a player, and especially as a goalkeeper with a lot of the action happening down the other end of the pitch. But he seems to come off his line pretty quickly. Uh, I don't think even the the pass from Sarah is that well executed, but Rowe just does so well, um, as you said, James, to get his his body in between man and ball. But yeah, I think other goalkeepers just don't come off their line that quickly, and then Rowe is definitely in a 1v1 situation. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, Johansson does enough to disrupt him and, and win the ball. Obviously, I think the ball gets a little bit stuck under Jonathan Rowe's feet. If he has a bit of a cleaner contact or a, or a cleaner dribble, then um, he'd definitely get a shot away and score. Yeah, it brings up an interesting tactical point about how, obviously, with these kickoffs and with set pieces, there's real effort from the coaching staff to like take advantage of these situations that we can control. For most of the game, it's the players are sort of reacting to situations on the pitch, and a lot of it will be sort of their sort of natural instincts as players. You have very few situations where you can sort of plan exactly what's going to happen. You could plan exactly what passes you're going to make. So I think it's it's really interesting that we're trying to sort of take advantage of these situations to the max. Yeah, I, I wonder how much uh, these set plays are kind of uh, the idea of Andy Hughes, um, because from watching him play for Norwich, it feels like he wasn't capable of doing very much off the cuff. So maybe it comes from his uh, his experiences in the game. Yeah, I mean, Norwich didn't really uh, look too positive or particularly confident in that period before half time. They did create one chance through um it was a bit of poor distribution from Johansson uh and then Sarah managed to get the ball to Barnes and then Fashnak just needs to pass the ball back to Sarah uh, I think he's received the pass from from Barnes and if he just looks up I think you've got Sarah running in on goal unfortunately he takes a couple of other touches doesn't have the awareness to, to pass to Sarah early and I think by that point the the attack's uh dwindling out uh, it does lead to a good save from Johansson I think Barnes with his left foot manages to curl the ball uh, and try and find the far corner. It was actually another good save from Johansson because I think it shifted his body weight to his left leg uh, and he's able to spring back in the opposite direction and actually still get to the ball. Again, I think other goalkeepers probably don't quite get there. Uh, he's probably made the save a little bit more difficult for himself, but it's still um, still a good parry nonetheless. Yeah, I just felt that in the lead up to half-time, before and after Rotherham's second goal, there was this kind of general pattern where there was a lot less width in our play and this was partly down not to the lack of trying from us it was just that when we got into the promising situations that we often get where where Barnes will drop off and then like look to maybe play in Stacey down the down the right you know a bad touch would let Stacey down or or a bad execution from Barnes would would let Stacey down so it, it was a very sort of frustrating uh, period of the game and interestingly I think a lot of the frustration from fans maybe at half time in the game came from the fact that you could visibly see the Norwich players getting quite down like the heads started to drop they started to get annoyed with themselves and one of these instances was in the lead up to the second goal so Janulis gives away a throw in he spends sort of the next 10, 15 seconds berating himself. You can see him like shaking his head. He's not particularly concentrated and focused. And then, yeah, the second goal comes from that. Two Norwich players get drawn towards a ball. Expect They're actually expecting a long throw. And Rotherham kind of set up for a long throw. 
then Rotherham throw it short and two Norwich players basically get drawn towards the ball, leaves Cafu in acres of space to cross for Hugel to, to head across home. He, he gets ahead of Duffy. But yeah, basically Rotherham created like a three versus two from that throw in. And it was a result of a period where Norwich just got sort of frustrated with themselves and stopped focusing on the next move. Absolutely. And um, I don't think there was complete focus from Duffy and Gibson within the penalty box. I think Duffy's trying to communicate to Gibson just before the cross is put in from Cafu to come a little bit deeper. And because Duffy's saying that to Gibson, or he loses sight of Hugel slightly, uh, because actually when Hugel's moving towards the goal, Duffy's moving slightly out, uh, which means that Duffy can't really pick up Hugel's run. I mean, I just think it's it's if there was like even a, a second or two's more concentration from Duffy, he maybe gets into an aerial duel with Hugel and maybe prevents him from from headering on goal. But um, yeah, again, it's only just a brief loss of focus, but that obviously uh, cost Norwich uh, another goal. Yeah, I think. Well, last week we mentioned in the Huddersfield game how good our sort of penalty box defending was, how that was like a real highlight of the performance. And then you look this week and we conceded two goals from balls of the box. Albeit the first one was a great strike, we've still lost the first contact. You can have as much of the ball as you want, but there are going to be periods where you're going to be put under pressure in these away games against teams that like to put crosses in. You have to be confident that you can defend your box and see out those periods. And if you don't, you're not going to win the game. It's, it's really that simple. Yeah, and what we've talked about in both goals is not huge errors. I don't think there's anything that's particularly to blame on one player or there isn't a, an awful piece of play uh, from a defensive point of view. But it's just, again, the, a lack of communication or perhaps over-communication or a lack of focus that's basically led them to being 2-0 uh, down, really. It hasn't really seemed like a theme from previous games. Uh, as as you said, James, we've kind of talked them up in their own 18-yard box. But yeah, that first half was pretty disappointing um, in terms of those situations. Yeah, I think it's kind of worth pointing out overall that Rotherham really didn't create that much during the game. I mean, Gunn didn't have a great deal to do. I'd say that he couldn't really do much about either goal. It was this was just kind of especially clear on on sort of the rewatch. You know, it, it was very much a, a game that I think Norwich would usually win in even even playing as they did, which wasn't particularly well. But it was just yeah, a couple of key moments you know went against them. So yeah, we get into the second half. Uh, Norwich don't make any changes, uh, but they do start the half a little bit better. In the post-match interview with with Wagner, he talked about how there perhaps wasn't enough movement off the ball, even though there was definitely like a sloppiness in possession, uh, and there were loads of imprecise passes in the, or that's what it felt like in the first half. Uh, it seemed like his intention or his message to the team was to create more movement and more runs off the ball. I think there was a little bit of that within uh, Norwich's goal back through uh, Christian Fasnacht. There was actually um, a really nice pass from Ida at 49 minutes, uh, 40 seconds in this. Uh, perhaps another example of what we were talking about before in terms of he's being used as a scapegoat by certain fans throughout the game and um, and even afterwards. But actually, this was like a really nice pass into space. It's a pass into him uh, and he opens up his, his right foot and actually a senior Newlis make a, a run off the ball. And he's able to play it into the path of Newlis um, and into space as well. Newlis is able to find Rowe, who's able to go both ways. He looks like he's going to go towards the byline, but then cuts inside it onto his right foot. And then he takes the ball further into the penalty area, onto his left foot, crossing into the box. And um, there's a 3v2 in the middle there. I think the the left-back Bramall for Rotherham uh, 
has to mark two players in terms of Ida and Fashnak. Uh, but it's Fashnak who gets the ball first and, and finishes. So, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to describe um, in terms of that goal, James. Yeah, well, obviously you mentioned Ida's involvement. I thought in that sort of 15-minute period after half-time, I thought it was really good. Almost any move that ended with us getting into their final thirds involved him holding the ball up at some point. I think we said earlier that uh, he wasn't really involved much in the first half. So maybe if we had got him involved a bit more, we'd have had more success then. In terms of the uh, the assist from Rowe, I really like, and he's shown this in a few 1v1s before, I like how he sort of has that angle of attack that keeps both exits open. He has the option of going both ways at pretty much every point. And then uh, he cuts in between the two defenders and then sort of uses momentum of Humphreys, who's moved away from the bar line towards him to try and block that shot on goal or whatever. And then he uses momentum to just chop back onto the left and then opens up that space for the cross. I thought it was really good 1v1 play. Yeah, generally in that 15 minutes after half time, I'd say that we were certainly improved. But I did find like once we got the equaliser that we didn't maybe capitalise on some good positions enough in the 50 to 60 minute period. Um, I don't think we actually had a shot on goal in, in that time. So perhaps we can give some credit to, to Rotherham there. But for sort of the positions that we got in, it was it was a little bit disappointing. I know that we, I think we forced maybe two or three corners in that period. But I think the closest we came was from sort of a drilled cross, which was then punched out by the um, Rotherham goalkeeper, which ended up leading to a counter attack and Rotherham's best chance of the of the second half. It was certainly a decent spell for us in the game, but but not without issues. Yeah, agree with what you guys said on Ida. And yeah, then we came into the period of the game, Sam, where Wagner starts to make his substitutions. The first of which sees uh, Pochetta, who had a good game against Bristol City in the EFL Cup during midweek, come on for Rowe. Yeah, and Rowe's last involvement was breaking up a counter-attack, which is something he did so expertly against Huddersfield uh, in a particular action last week. And uh, I think Pochetta probably was the right substitution. Again, considering how effective he was against Bristol City. I was slightly disappointed in terms of there weren't enough opportunities or there weren't enough moments where it looked like Norwich were trying to get him in behind. I still think there were a few too many occasions where he was coming to the ball uh, when we really didn't need that part of his play. I mean, as we know, Pochetta in possession is not always that good. Uh, he can lack a little bit of awareness or a little bit of technical quality. But in terms of when he's making a run against the opposition fullback or in behind the last line of defence, that's when he's at his most dangerous. I think we only saw this about two or three times for the rest of the game. So it felt like a bit of a wasted opportunity to um, to test Rotherham on that left-hand side. But I think my my issue of Pochetta coming on in this sort of scenario is the fact that you know we're 2-1 down, right? So when he was effective against Huddersfield... Um, and when he's been effective, even in in League Cup games this season, the game state has been very different. This was Rotherham defending deeper, and yeah, Pochetta just isn't the player to unlock doors in in, in those scenarios for me. I could see why, because obviously, if you're the manager and a player's performed that well when he's been given the chance a few days previous. You know, there is that motivation there from both uh, the manager and the player, you know, for that player to to be given, you know, a proper chance to change a game a few days later as well. 
But yeah, I just question whether it was the right sub in this scenario. Yeah, and generally on Wagner in kind of substitutions, uh, I know this has been something I may have mentioned in at least a couple of pods before this one, but Wagner's obsession of also bringing on quite a few subs within a short period of time, I can't help but think just disrupts our complete rhythm. And I feel that this was another instance of that. No, James? Yeah, it was the um, the triple sub after where I think it was Gibbs, McCallum and Springett replaced Ida, Yanoulis and Fasnacht. I thought that final ball hadn't quite been there. We had been the better team in the start of that second half. I don't think we were necessarily, at least for the roles they're going to be putting, I don't think we were, we were bringing on superior quality to what we had out on the pitch already. So I think I think the big issue is that it was inferior quality, right? Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. And and I think yeah. that is my biggest issue with this. If you think back to how we turned around so many games late on under Farker, especially in like 2018-19 season, when there wasn't the option of bringing on so many subs, who knows? Maybe if there was so many options, he, he may have changed his mind back then. It's impossible to say. But my worry with this general trend is that managers, for some reason, just feel like they, some managers just feel like they have to use these substitutions and almost forgetting that the reason they picked the first 11 in the first place is because these are superior players. And we also heard a lot in pre-season about how fit these players are, right? So for me, they need to be going, especially before a two-week break, you know, for pretty much the whole 90, uh, our key players. Fashionat's already scored a goal in this game. He's always a player that you're going to think is going to get in the right area, maybe in the box in the last 20 minutes to find another one. Ida, as we've saying, was playing pretty well. I have no idea why he was taken off, especially for a player who isn't even a striker. Sorry for interrupting you there, James, but this was like one of my one of my big frustrations uh, of, of this game. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. I was being very diplomatic with the uh, the way I put the uh, the drop in quality there. I think his use of Gibbs is quite, I want to say, interesting, but I'm not sure he's really someone who should be used as one of those two strikers because uh, the way I see Gibbs is he's sort of good at uh, getting on the ball in that sort of first, second phase of build-up and playing short passes and sort of turning out of pressure. And I, I see that as his best qualities. Uh, he can drive the ball from deep as well into space. I don't see him as someone who's going to score or assist a large number of goals. I feel like if you're bringing on someone for that role who was on the bench, you want to look at Nunez, which I know, Adam, you feel strongly about that as well. The, he should have been brought on. I don't think he was brought on at all. I was going to say much yeah, earlier. Well, I don't think he came on at all. No, he, he, he didn't come on at all. And so I watched the Bristol City game and I was quite surprised at how well Nunez played in that game because I didn't really hear anything about it by sort of the Norwich fans and Norwich media who were present at the game. So that made it even stranger for me that he wasn't given any time in that. And I wouldn't have necessarily brought him on in one of the forward roles. Like I've already said, I would have kept both the two forwards on for the whole 90 in this one. I would have considered bringing him on probably for McLean rather than Sara, to be honest, just because he had a pretty good game alongside Sarah just a few days ago and he was playing a lot of decent uh, diagonals and again I thought that throughout this game one of our 
better avenues was when we played those balls. And uh, Nunez set up a goal against Bristol City the other day like that as well uh, with McCallum. And there was a couple of instances where McCallum was like bombing down the left in this last 15, 20 minutes, if I remember rightly. And, you know, we didn't quite find him. Uh, I think there was one instance where I think maybe Sarah played a ball and McCallum's cut it back and it was almost similar to the goal we scored against Bristol City. But yeah, I, that was just more evidence for me that maybe Nunes could have come on in, in one of those roles in this game. I think what frustrates me about Wagner sometimes is maybe not getting the the right sub-right for the right game state or the right opposition. Yeah, I think Nunes, he's someone where he's got a few different skills that make him sort of useful in different roles depending on sort of what you want. In terms of passing, he's obviously got a really good passing range. So if you want to play him in those deeper roles, he can really sort of pull the strings and create from there. But I also think he's a really good ball striker around the area as well. So I think if you played him in that role, which Gibbs came on him, he would maybe be able to uh, get a goal from the edge of the area with a shot from there or something like that, which in a tight game and you need a goal to get back into it. I think having a player who's got that in the locker is it's just really useful to have on the pitch. Absolutely. And I think something that happened with a little more frequency in the last 10 minutes was Sarah making runs in behind the Rotherham defence. And I think if Nunes had come on, and I know maybe it's a bit debatable whether Nunes' best position is deeper in terms of alongside Kenny McLean or picking the ball up from uh, from the centre-backs. But I think because Sarah looks so dangerous in terms of his movement in behind, I think that would have been really interesting to see um, Sarah getting a bit more of a free roll closer to Barnes um, instead of Gibbs. Perhaps something that we will hope to see that David Wagner either um, incorporates or experiments with uh, later on in the season. Yeah, just one last point. I think there were some running stats put up on Twitter a couple of weeks ago in which like both Sarah and McLean were top five in the league for distance covers by midfielders, uh, if I remember correctly. Obviously, that sort of midfield too has to cover an enormous amount of ground to sort of make up for the fact there's only two of them and we often play against teams that have three midfield and they often cover sort of large spaces to plug gaps in transition, for example. I think Nunes, if you pick out one weakness, is that he's not the most powerful runner. He isn't, but again, interestingly, Wagner did, I think, either post-Bristol City or pre-Rotherham uh, note that Nunes covered like over 13k against Bristol City. If, I, if I'm Marcelino Nunes, I'm wondering, how did I not get on in that situation? Because I, I would say that the only game this season where we've kind of been in a similar situation we haven't actually been in this situation yet this season where we've been a goal down you know with just a few minutes to go but you would say that maybe the whole game is the closest to it right where the expectation was very much on us to win and that we needed um, somebody to come on and, and give us something a bit different in midfield and give us a bit maybe a bit more composure on the ball and Nunes did that against Hull when he came on in that game and he actually contributed to the winner. So I just find it, yeah, very strange that he wasn't brought on in this game. I still think Norwich did dominate uh, mostly in the in the final period. I think if we're talking about after that triple sub is made, uh, or maybe dominate is the is the wrong word, but they did keep up the pressure. There are quite a few crosses into the box. Unfortunately, most of these crosses were either pretty average or poor quality. Uh, there were a couple of ones from uh, Jack Stacey and Sam McCallum. But if they're a little bit flatter and if they're a little bit faster, then it might have caused the Robin defence a little bit more problems. It might have allowed Barnes or Gibbs or any of the other players getting into the box and more of a chance to, to get onto it. Uh, in the end, 
it felt like we were forcing a lot of these crosses in the last 10 or 15 minutes. Rotherham's press definitely dropped off at this point, which is what you'd completely expect from any team uh, that had been so organised and had been uh, proactive off the ball uh, for most of the game. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't really or truly another uh, save from Victor Hansen during this period. He only had to come out and make a couple of high claims uh, and actually... He did this without much pressure because, as said previously, the uh, the crosses were pretty average to poor quality. Yeah, just on your point about crosses, um, I think I read that this was the most crosses we've had all season in a game. But I just felt that the quality was poor and, and the fact that there was no Josh Sargent on the field probably contributed to them being a lot less effective as he is ultimately probably our biggest danger from across. So that is something that we might want to look at going forward now that we've lost like the most effective player we have in terms of getting on the end of crosses. Um, it'd be interesting sort of how we adapt to that in, in, in future games. Yeah, I do think in general, crossing is quite hit and miss. It can be quite inefficient, especially if you're playing against teams who have sort of defenders who relish those situations, which in the championship, there are still quite a few teams who will have those kind of defenders who their bread and butter is just heading away crosses. I'd like to see us look for different ways of breaking down teams when we have to break them down and score a goal. Oh, I mean, we've, we've spoken so much about Nunez, but he's someone who would give us this sort of a different avenue of creating chances to just sort of sling in crosses for the last 25 minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah, you just like to see maybe a bit more variety and maybe a bit more patience in trying to work that really good chance rather than just sort of getting out wide and instantly just thinking, let's put in another cross. Absolutely. And I just think by the end of the game, the sheer volume of crosses that we ended up putting into the box, it just felt like we lost control. There wasn't much intelligence there in terms of all the focus seemed to be was trying to get it to the wide areas and then fill the box. But I think the more that a team has to defend crosses like that, the more comfortable that they get. It almost became second nature for Rotherham to head some of these balls away. And again, like the quality wasn't there in the crosses. So that felt like the intention from the team. I'm not sure if it came from the coaching staff or not, but it definitely felt like that was a, a massive problem in terms of Norwich's possession and in terms of creating chances towards the end of the game. Great. So overall, Adam, uh, are there any sort of tactical aspects or individual performances from the game that you want to talk about or, or things that would summarise the two under feet? About the only thing I'd like to point out here really is, again, the difference between when I watched it live and when I rewatched it. And that's the performance of Gabriel Sara. So I was very harsh on him <laughs> when I watched it live. Um, I think I tweeted out at some point, you know, did we accidentally sell Sarah <laughs> during the in the chance? I, I think I did that after he had had a couple of poor touches in the first half. But on, on the rewatch, I realised that I was massively harsh on him. Basically, pretty much all the good things usually involved him uh, in in this game, um, and he was definitely sort of the most positive of our passes and and uh, and got himself in some decent positions and we didn't quite find him a couple of times as well I noticed on the rewatch so maybe a bit of an apology to Sarah. <laughs> no I, I, I'd slightly disagree with you there in terms of, I, I do think his performance was very very mixed and I know he's still quite young and I think you can definitely excuse that considering how good he's been in the past year there were moments in the first half where I felt the same as you there was a layoff or there was a pass or there was a, a carrying the ball that he lost and it just didn't look like the same player. And I don't know whether that's because he's played a lot of games recently, or whether that was a fatigue, or whether it was just a bit of a one-off. But 
yeah, he was a bit unrecognisable, especially in the first half. But then there were still three or four actions, whether that was a pass, whether that was a like a, a piece of movement in behind, which were really, really high quality as well. I didn't really expect that sort of performance from him on Saturday. Yeah, that brings up a sort of general point about how uh, how the game was lost, really, in that we just had so many players who weren't quite at the level we expect. We mentioned that like the quality of the crossing wasn't good enough. There was a lot of misplaced passes, especially towards the end of that first half. Also, like we mentioned those sort of minor errors in the build-ups to the goals, uh, which even though they weren't sort of like catastrophic, still they're things you'd want to get right if you want to win football games in the Championship. Games generally, at this level can be quite close so if you don't get it right in the key moments like you can lose a game which uh you would sort of generally the better team in i wouldn't say we dominated the game at all because we didn't but i wouldn't say we put in like a catastrophic performance no um yeah and like if you look at some of our key players so far this season stacy and janulis for example they were just nowhere near at it in in this game uh for me probably two of our poorer performance on the day. Barnes was nowhere near as effective as it as he has been as well, um, which I think we did mention earlier in the pod when it came to sort of praising Ida. Just generally a bad day at the office for quite a few of the players. Hopefully it's just a one-off. I feel like the other side of the international break presents us with two pretty perfect games that you'd want, I think. Stoke, a decent test, but winnable home game, followed then by Leicester, who, if we have beaten Stoke, you feel like that could be like a really great atmosphere at Kerr Road under the lights. And we go into that game as an underdog, really, um, given that Leicester have just come down. So that might suit us as well. Plenty to look forward to on the other side of the international break still, I think. Yeah, I think the word that I'd probably describe in terms of uh, tactical and individual performances were was subpar, really. And I think that was deeply frustrating. I think Ashley Barnes especially kind of represents a lot of that. Usually he's just so cool and composed in possession. And there were a lot of times uh, when he received the ball that he tried to rush it. Or especially in the second half, in and around the box, the ball didn't quite fall to him. Or he was trying to look for a slightly more difficult pass than it perhaps needed. But that that was uh, fairly consistent through the team as well. I think a lack of composure uh, in possession and then maybe a lack of focus out of possession is uh, is what cost Norwich against Rotherham. It was their lowest XG of the season, so about 1.5. But um, they only conceded an XG of about 0.6, which was less than Huddersfield a week ago. So again, yeah, not a completely catastrophic performance in terms of the underlying numbers. And I still think they could have tested um, Rotherham's defensive line a little bit. It was quite high. And um, when Wagner referred to a lack of movement in the press conference after the game, I do think he perhaps wanted his forward players to penetrate that line a little bit more. And the fact that some of those passes over the top of the defence weren't weren't always executed correctly was a, was a bit of an issue. And again, well, as I said previously, why I thought Pochetta was introduced. Yeah, so I think, well, that takes us into the international break, obviously. I think generally, given the sort of mood at the start of the season, in terms of there wasn't a huge amount of optimism. It wasn't like sort of, we're going to get relegated or absolutely terrible negativity. It's just sort of like there wasn't really any expectations on us. Uh, taking that into account, people will be pretty happy with 10 points from five games. I think the level of performance have backed it up as well. It's not like we're winning games that we ha- haven't been the better team in. I think in most of them, we have been the better team and we've won deservedly. So I don't think there's any reason at the moment for this defeat to worry people in terms of uh, 
the team's form dropping off. If we lose like a couple more games in the next sort of month or so, and the performance levels are sort of at the subpar that we saw on Saturday, then maybe you would start to think, are we sort of levelling off a bit? But I think given the level of performance over the first five games generally, you have to say we're in a pretty good place. Great stuff. James, Adam, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to the Norris City Tactics Podcast. Finally, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen to us. Thank you.